Hello, and welcome to Jam Presents, a podcast series produced by me, Mike Groves, and a good mate of mine, Jason Cripps. The first series of Jam Presents takes us back to July 2001, when Fox ran a one-off TV series called Murder in Small Town X, an American reality TV show that we believe went somewhat unnoticed. This accompanying podcast will break down each episode of Murder in Small Town X as Jason and I follow the journeys of 10 contestants as they attempt to solve the brutal murder of the Flint family and catch the killer. Oh, and at the same time, try to win 250 grand. In the quiet town of Sunrise, Maine, a killer is on the loose. A reward has been offered to 10 ordinary people. been sent to Sunrise to play the killer's twisted game. Welcome to Sunrise. Now, they must enter the mind of a killer and solve the mystery before they are eliminated one by one. Each episode of Murder in Small Town X is available on YouTube, so if you haven't already, go and watch episode 7 now. In this episode, we search the Beck's limo, we offer a criminal some liquor, and we watch the Reverend confess to the murders. Episode 7, we are the penultimate episode. We're there. Now it is really ramping up. We're immediately reminded of Kristen and Jeff's history, and that Kristen was eliminated in episode 6 last week. Jeff came back with the killer clue, having gone full diehard on us. We're also reminded of the goings-on of the last episode, the cleansing ceremony attended by Alan and Jeff, to Beck's limo overturning when he was on his way to meet Connor, and Connor was obviously filmed with Jimmy Tinker and a bag full of cash. We're reminded also at the start of the episode, at this point, eight suspects and four investigators remain. One of the very first scenes is to Beck's limo being hauled by Connor in her truck, who goes on to take a crowbar to it. And I know they, like, need to salvage and stuff, but she's just hammering that yeah I've, I've put this I've said Con- Connor's got uh, the Beck's car and she just why is she, why is she smashing up <laughs> I didn't there's no, really there's no reason it. to smash that <laughs> I, I also question how much of this goes on in small towns as in she's still a suspect right so in a in the suspect of a, a multiple murder uh, investigation would they let a potential killer or the suspect to go and recover the limo of someone that's been brutally murdered <laughs> yeah which you yeah, you could have killed them, yet you're going to go and tamper with the evidence. <laughs> like, Dudley's doing nothing at this point, is he? Like, brilliant. He's not, like, he's not securing the crime scene. Yeah, nothing, nothing like that. Well, it's, it's the same the way Frank goes in with all the photographs. They yeah. get Frank to do all the forensics. He's, wipe, he's wiping blood from his hands on the carpet. <laughs> Although we are talking 20 years ago, so who knows how much it's changed. Perhaps that's what it was what, like back in the day. What, DNA didn't exist. <laughs> Fingerprints didn't exist twenty years ago. Oh dear. Well, before before we move on about this whole smashing the smashing the car out, um, because you've got me thinking, Dudley's fucking awful, isn't he? As a policeman, (laughs) mate, I can't wait until later in the episode. We we haven't seen any. Where's his deputy? Like we haven't seen anybody else. No, the fact that in episode two when they're at the funeral. He's like, it's popping off all over the joint. Yeah, well, it's not, popping, actually, off, it's not popping off for it's, two weeks straight, mate. It's because it? you've only got one member of staff. Yeah. <laughs> it's yourself. Yeah, it's, oh, it's popping off. It's just me. Just say it. Don't pretend you've got friends, Dudley. Anyway, carry on. 
So we're told early on that the presence of blood and brain tissue suggests that Debeck has been murdered. So they cross him off. And I know we've been talking about it since episode one, but the pen that they use to cross Debeck off the suspect list is amazing. Really thick black marker pen. Mm -hmm. Love it. Once again, there's no body. This makes me wonder then, will we eventually find out where the killer has been storing or disposing of the bodies? Perhaps that's an episode eight thing. Jeff notices there's an absence of sweepers as they don't have anyone to follow. That would explain why there's maybe no sweepers. Uh, they uh, truly have no one to follow now, except possibly the uh, Reverend. That's really good, actually, that he's like, yeah, there's no, there's no sweepers around. It's gone really quiet. But what are they doing then? What are the sweepers doing? Well, they've got no one to follow anymore. Like, the, the, the Beck's gone. So, they, they so... Just, But I don't get... Because they seem like quite brainwashed, don't they? Obviously, because yeah. it's a cult. But even when you see them... Because I think you've seen you've seen I mean, you've seen them on the docks when things are happening, yet there's no reaction from them. There's even a scene where Thibodeau comes out with... A, like a grocery store, and he move, like pushes one out of the way, no reaction from him. And for them to just be like, oh, to snap out of it, it's a bit strange. But then we do we do actually see them. So we do see There's them. Less, isn't there? Late, less later on, there are definitely fewer of them, and they are destroying the place when they go back looking for clues later on. Mm-hmm. Gary also mentions that Reverend Rusty Crandall, and I'm not going to make the joke this week, I've been editing some of our episodes and I mention it every week about my <laughs> Rusty Crandall, but things are improving. He's still missing. Uh, we obviously saw that he was the driver of the limo, but he's, he's still missing. We also find out at this point at HQ that the lifeguard will be going out into the field with the other investigators, which is good because there are only four of them left, so they've got to be in teams of two. But as we thought last week, free pass into the final. Yeah. And Angel got that pass. Yeah, which is brilliant because, I mean, first off, we're big fans of Angel as it is, but he also says that he made a deal with Kristen that he would send out Jeff, which is brilliant. I made a promise to her that she would vote me lifeguard so that I can vote for Jeff and letting him know how it feels to be sent out continuously until he is voted all. They talk about the killer clue. And Jeff mentions the OSL symbol that lit up that we saw where he went full diehard. It's also on the coat of arms, on the torn paperwork. So he, he recovered, he saw the flames around the OSL symbol. And then there was the coat of arms on the, on the torn bill, which was the killer clue. Jeff says order, strength, logic, which is where both of our minds would have jumped because that whole episode, uh, episode six, was about the cleansing and about order, strength, logic. It just gets a bit confusing later in the episode where... That's not what OSL stands for. O-S-L. Order, strength, logic. Gary gives them two tracks. There's only obviously two teams of two. One is to learn more about OSL and the other is to search the Beck's limo and find Reverend Rusty Crandall. So we'll go down the two tracks in turn. Track one is the killer clue team, which is Angel and Jeff. And that is to talk to the mayor and find out what he knows about the OSL logo. We collected some evidence yesterday with the initials O-S-L on it. Oh no. It's scaring me now. Bowden mentions that when he was a kid, there were some crimes in the town by someone who had an OSL tattoo. He terrorised the town. He got 30 years in an insane asylum. He got released and is now custodian of the building. It's <laughs> mad. Absolutely mad. That madness. is mad, isn't it? Angel heads back to HQ. He says a lot more than what Bowden lets on. Bowden says, like, he was a criminal and he's terrorised. Angel comes back with a quote. Turns out that the guy's a criminal. Murder, rape, robbery... Everything. Holy but then, shit. We, obviously, some of the stuff we've seen, though, is not getting shown. Do you think that that's what was said? Yeah, I'm sure the conversation went on longer. Bowden reveals Orlando Whist is the man's name, and Gary manages to get the pair of flight to New Hampshire to talk to Orlando's employer. The next time we see Angel and Jeff is where? Taco Bell. Thank so, you, and have a nice afternoon. 
thing first off first off said about um they've flown to New Hampshire. Suddenly they've just found a whole lot of cash in the budget for this show, aren't they? <laughs> well, it's like one minute they're digging graves, then they're, then they're uh, scuba diving, and then they're taking what private planes in New Hampshire. Also, this we're saying that we, we saw them in Taco Bell. What I was thinking is, what do the, the other people think in that Taco Bell? Because they, they are sat, they're not even sat in a booth. They're sat on like a, a four person table mm. right next to another family. <laughs> this other family's just having their lunch, thinking it's like a whole film crew here, and they're talking and they're talking about murderers and rapists. <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> I was just wondering if that was. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't, it doesn't surprise me anymore. Murder X. I don't know. I, I'm fully expecting them that just to be the general public, and they've just walked in. So the chap they meet, Ernest Talman, he's Orlando's employer. Talman tells them that he's working in Manchester holding a bank, and it turns out Orlando is the caretaker of the building, and the bank own that building. Talman describes Orlando as being eccentric, and Angel asks, "Can you take me to meet him?" I can do that. Yeah, I'd like to see him. What's great is the peace offering that Talman gives Jeff and Angel. So he gives them a bottle of liquor in a brown bag. I'm not sure that's how you should treat employees. So the next time we see them, they're entering the asylum. And that must have been really, really creepy. And obviously he's going to be in the basement, isn't he? Oh, definitely. But I've, 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 I've wrote here in my notes that Angel is absolute nails because he just starts saying, oh, why are you hiding? Because he's obviously seen someone. And they're literally hiding behind the pillar. Hey, come on, Mr. Woods. Why are you hiding behind that collar? Yeah, Angel coaxes him out rather than walking past and waiting for the jump scare. Yeah, he's quite he's quite uh, up front with him, isn't he? He is, and he's not he's not nicey nicey. Yeah, he is quite confrontational with him. Mm, I, I liked what the costume department gave Orlando West to wear as well, and that he was wearing overalls with O West on his um on his I name tag. That. I missed that completely. <laughs> I bet. I wonder if Dudley's got it on his uh, on his name badge. Yeah, his name badge is made of plastic, mate. He's got a toy gun. <laughs> So they they ask him about OSL and he reveals that it's Order of the Scarlet Lupin that got its name from a lupin that grew along the coast. OSL was made of businessmen, lawyers, bankers, chief of police, mayor, etc. And they run the town. We've mentioned Hot Fuzz before. This town is definitely for the greater good. It's definitely a uh, a Hot Fuzz kind of situation, isn't it? Yeah, and they've had some sort of elitist group making decisions. Uh, Whist shows them his OSL tattoo. See that? You were a member. That's right. He asks, if I reel off a load of names to you, can you confirm if they were members or not? Angel says that, doesn't he? Yeah. That was brilliant. And firstly, Whist's response, no, I cannot. (laughs) So you won't, you can't confirm? No, I won't. I can't. Now, two things. One, I think Angel would have reeled off the names of people now. We didn't know at this time, but OSL turned out to have closed its doors several decades before. So the OSL that Whist was involved in 30-odd years ago before he got locked up is a very different... The, the, the people in the town would have changed. Would have been interesting if, if, if say, Bowden or Flint or someone, yeah. Or even Lambert, perhaps. But um, no, you're not going to get it from reeling off the likes of Deanna Harris and Dudley Duncan because... Yeah. Past their room, past their time. So the fact that he says no... X-Ray. X-Ray's the leader. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's not actually done any killing, yeah, but he's... Say, what, he's ca- what cabbie doesn't know everything? And everybody. Organising it all. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff and Angel come to the conclusion that they've flown to New Hampshire to speak to this chap and to only have a short amount of time with it. It's not the first time in the series that we've seen, you know, four-minute interviews. They spoke to Debeck. Mm-hmm at the cleansing ceremony last week and they were really disappointed to have only got a short amount of time with him. The fact 
that he goes, get out, out. Is that because he's got no more to say and they're asking questions which he can't answer and they've been booted out and now the producers have to step in and say, oh yeah, okay, so we need to ask this next or we need to do this next. We just don't know what it's like behind the scenes. Perhaps we can find it out if there's a making of or I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. Like maybe maybe they were the things they were asking him wasn't on script. So he, ha- he had to like calm the situation down and it's the only way to calm the situation down is boot them. Fully expecting them to come back but at least then it's a fresh conversation. That's it. Or That's it. is it more organic than that? He booted them, but then we did have Jeff there. This is what I'm more hoping in my heart. Oh, same. I, I there, hope it is genuine. And then Jeff there, like, hang on, I've been in this situation before where I've gone all this way. To um, get five minutes. To get five minutes. I'm not ha- letting that happen again. Because it was. I think it was primarily Jeff that led that conversation. Then Angel was like, let's, well, let's do it then, wasn't it? Yeah, and... and- to be fair, Angel Angel's a bit soft at this point where he's like, oh, we can't go back in there unless we have a question. Jeff's just keen to get in. I mean, it works. The dynamic between the two yeah. works. Yeah, because Angel's completely because... right. You can't go in there and just stand in front of the guy. No, you can't. Especially in the situation it's in that he's an actor. It's not It's not like you can go and intimidate because <laughs> you don't know what you're asking. This this guy's been prepped. You've got to think, okay, what's happened so far? What's happened to date? What evidence have we got? Yeah, what, have I, what do we know in our combined knowledge that we can ask him? But also, although Angel's right in terms of saying you can't go back in there, it's not like he's a hardened criminal that is that has been sentenced for 30 years. He's going to eat your face if you say the wrong thing. Yeah, it's very much... You could go back in there. The guy's an actor. You could just intimidate him until he tells you what, he, what he's got on his script. Yeah. He was doing Hamlet the week before he did this. <laughs> that, or they chose a real mental patient. <laughs> Homeless guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They walk out and they're like, oh, he's not even, he's not even here yet. <laughs> I don't know who you've been speaking to. So when they go back in, they mention Lupin's again being a part of it and that they used to hang in the hall of our clubhouse. Oh, the power in that place. Oh, it was magic. They find out that that place was 1102 Kylie Street on the second floor. And at that point, they realise they've got what they came for. So they've got another lead. So back at HQ, they talk about OSLB and the secret society around the 30s and 40s and that they now have an address. So now they need to investigate this lead and also follow up on the tip from the Trekkers Lodge man who rang from that same Taco Bell. He mentioned that all the stuff was stolen from the room that the burnt man had killed himself in and all that had ended up all over the floor and that he gave chase uh, in his truck and the boot on their truck popped open and all the stuff is strewn all over the place. Jeff and Angel head to 1102 Kylie Street and we hear Gary's voiceover. We're going to have an expert in security train you in entry techniques. See, I would have loved to have seen this. Same, and that's exactly what I've got. They don't make a big thing of it, and I like to think that they did some training, much like the scuba diver yeah, training that even they that, did. A little montage training would be nice. And I also think, like, if they, if you've seen the training, even for a minute or two, and then Angel did it, you would, you'd feel good, like a lot better for Angel and how yeah. he's like, he's learnt that and he's actually put it into practice. But then on the second one, Jeff just grabs it and pulls it. <laughs> Really hard. Although that is Jeff playing the big man again. He's just... Yeah, isn't he? He's playing, he, I think he's playing up to the camera a bit now. Hold the back of me. You're going to wreck the door. One way to do it. We see the OSL headquarters, which looks like a courtroom or a secret society. Apparently they just left one day and never returned. Wonder why. Mm. This is what I think we're going to find out, hopefully. Well, they find a, a transcript, don't they, of the final minutes. True. And they, they take the uh, hardware to play it on. And on their way back from the OSL headquarters, Jeff and Angel stop to look at the abandoned truck or look for the abandoned truck and any clues on the fire road. They find a 16mm camera with some infrared film and on a walk through the woods, they find a picture. Ripping off the back of the picture, they find an envelope. And then the next we see, they're back at HQ. They find a photograph of the Duchamp family inside the envelope. 
Uh, they were the family that were lost at sea. We see a circled family member. And at this point, I was absolutely certain that that was the burnt man having been rescued by the Duchamp family mm-hmm. in 1941. Because of all the stuff he said. Because of everything has gone on. Although we find out later on that the photograph was dated 1940. Track two. The De Beck murder team, Katie and Alan. So their job was to search De Beck's limo and find Reverend Rusty Crandall. Alan and Katie meet Connor at a garage where the limo has been recovered to. Alan rips the car apart in what looks like an episode of Scrap Heat Challenge I've written. <laughs> he goes hell for leather, doesn't he? He rips the back absolutely seat, everything yeah. apart. Fair play. I got what I came for. I've got the casing. That's it. That's all I can find. Not much more to say on that scene, really. Katie and Alan's next step is to find Rusty, and they go back to where Alan and Jeff had previously done the cleansing ceremony. And the place is looking a bit worse for wear. The lights are flickering. The sweepers are acting more bizarre than ever. And as Katie yeah. and Alan walk through, things are thrown over them. And also we're seeing burnt brooms. So some of the brooms have been set fire to outside as well. Carnage. They find Rusty praying in a barn. We have visitors. Say, Rusty. Do you have something for me? And it's Mary Elizabeth that opens it up for them, so they must have bumped into her somewhere along oh, the way. Yeah, granted. So she's everywhere. Everywhere. I don't know. I don't know if, if it's if it's very if it's good writing that she's everywhere or just running out of characters to do stuff. She obviously opens up the barn doors and says to the Reverend, "You have visitors." This is perfect. This this is such a stereotypical yin yang. I don't know. You you see this in in loads of sort of nineties. TV shows and films. It's like, how can we portray someone being bad or, or a different mindset? We'll put them in a full black suit because you've only ever seen him in a full white suit. In a white suit. Yeah. He acts as though he's expecting a message. Kicks right off at Mary Elizabeth. I know. Yeah. Get quite aggressive, doesn't he? And boots her out. And then he says, I'm supposed to give you a message. I had a real vision like I've never had before. I was in the car. I was with Hayden, taking him to meet Prudence Connor. And all of a sudden, I was completely blinded, like Paul on the road to Damascus. And in that moment, bang, faith. My faith returned. It's so dramatic. I was being baptised again when either water or petrol was dripping on his head. Anyway, he says that he he saw an angel strike down De Beck. We obviously know that as being the bang stick. Alan playing it cool as ever in this scene. Rusty says something along the lines of, the true Rusty has been resurrected. This is pure Alan. Like, you know, if, if you could think, like, just shows what, what he's all about. Because he says that um, he preferred Rusty in his white outfit. Why? Let me put the white outfit on you so I can talk to the Rusty that was here Wednesday. That Rusty's dead. The next time we see Rusty is at one of his sermons. Other than the funeral, though, this is the first time that we've seen him doing his proper job. True. He suggests that the Beck was beginning to think that he was God and that he was his right-hand man. That's why my angel killed him. That's why I killed the Flints. From nowhere. Yeah, and, and, and it's a confession to, obviously, the congregation. As he says it, Jimmy jumps up and tries to attack him, and we see Lambert get up and walk away. Now, suspicious behaviour from both of them, perhaps less suspicious from Jimmy. I think this clears Jimmy completely. Yeah. I really he, do. Yeah. He loved Abby, I think. And what it says about Lambert, though, Lambert gets up and sneaks out. I 
they go back to HQ the next morning and Gary mentions what happened at the church last night because they weren't there, obviously. Mm -hmm. Dudley Duncan has taken the Reverend into custody. They also find out that the recovered shell from the limo matches the other crime scenes. For the first time, Gary says whichever person or persons committed the crime. And that's the first time we've ever heard it be suggested that there might be more than one. Whoever killed the general is the same person or persons who killed the other victims here in town. Track two are required to interrogate Reverend Rusty Crandall. Gary suggests that certain things have been happening at these crime scenes that only the killer would know. And this is great. This is really it good. It sort of set, sets it up, yeah. Alan and Katie go to the police department and they're told that they can only interrogate one at a time. Alan goes in to chat with Rusty and Katie stays outside on the other end of the earpiece. And you know that they've got to ask questions about the crimes which only the killer would know. I, I did really like that. Did you study the Bible when you were growing up? Yeah. I've been in church probably since I was six, seven years old. Once again, Alan just plays the absolute part here. Now, undoubtedly, that stuff about the church was true. Undoubtedly that his grandmother set up the local church and all this sort of thing. But says all the right stuff, asks a question about Lighter's murder and the Reverend recalls being in the house. And when he says... I started shaving her head. At that point, he's the killer. There's no way you would know that unless you're the killer. Yeah, that's what I mean. So how does he know that? That's what I think. Until he then goes on to describe the other murders and gets it all completely wrong. I grab the cord that's lying on the floor and I, I wrap it around her neck and I pull it tight from both ends and I just hold on to it and I'm looking right into her eyes and she dies. But that's not how she died. And yeah, he could be lying, but actually I don't think he is. Dudley asks whether or not they can cut him loose. Can he go? And they say, yeah, he's an innocent yeah. man. He's, he, yeah. you know. I mean, this this late into the season, are we, we're just writing Rusty off then, are we? Yeah, now I am. Who is it? Hey. Come on in. So back at HQ, Mary Elizabeth rings the bell wearing Abby's jumper. But we, the, yeah, the investigators don't know that yet. We've seen this in the snapshot in like episode one or two. And I'm just editing that now. And we talk about Abby's jumper being worn by Mary Elizabeth. And that is creepy. But that's what we saw. Yeah, and we, we even mentioned that. that. We say, I wonder whether or not they'll ever learn about this jumper. And it's only at this point that they do. Mary Elizabeth is panicked because Rusty has been released. And she's now over looking after C.R. Flint, who is rattled by the whole affair. Mary Elizabeth manages to convince Katie and Alan to go and watch over her and CR that night for a sleepover. When Mary Elizabeth leaves, that's when Katie notices the jumper. Yeah, it's my Abby sweater. Nothing weird about that. Alan and Katie do go along. Mary Elizabeth is doing some utterly bizarre fashion show and what we can assume is Abby's clothes. Alan decides to stay outside and watch the perimeter. Katie is going to stay inside with Mary Elizabeth and, and CR. The chat between the what, girls. Between the girls I love chat. it. Alan. <laughs> Absolutely adorable. Oh, Dortmund, his accent is so cute. It's, it's the best dialogue in the whole school season. High school amazingness. Alan can't get her on the radio and starts to panic a little bit. Which is brilliant. It's, it's perfect timing. Um, but the fact that he does it at the exact moment that they're talking about. You could him, not write that. We, we, we cut back to HQ actually, because Angel's there, obviously, Angel's on the phone to them and that sort of thing. Angel says, I'm going to go back and finish logging some evidence. They cut back to the Flint house and then we see the night vision footage that we've seen throughout. CR begins to complain. Mary Elizabeth goes to get the medicine as Katie watches over him. Katie and Alan from inside and outside both hear the gunshot or the bang stick go off. Alan thinks the worst and rushes into the house, checking on Katie. See, at this point, I thought the worst as well. And me, 100%, I thought this is it. Even though I knew, like, I knew CR, it was not going to be CR. No. Like, it's just, you don't know who, like, what, if the killer was in the house, do you know what I mean, waiting? Which, we find out 
probably, probably was, was the, was the, the case. case. Exactly. Thankfully, Katie and Alan regrew. Mary Elizabeth is meant to be downstairs, so when they check the back door, and they, I've got to pull you up on this, echoes of the first episode. In the first episode, you said, you're going to notice, you step into a pool, a pool of blood like that, you're going to notice, it does take her at least five or six seconds for her <laughs> to does. look down and go, oh, I'm standing in the blood. <laughs> I've not heard that again, though. Oh, my God. What? I'm standing in the blood right now. So the next scene that we see, one of my favourite moments, like if I was to cut a three-second clip out of the entire show. Is this Dudley? It's Dudley's reaction. What? Oh, no, no. His reaction, if, if you were, honestly, if, I mean, I know it's a tight-knit community, I know it's a tight-knit town and everything like that, but if that was the reaction of your policeman, when the policeman walks in and there's been a murder... <laughs> <laughs> but you've got to remember, they've just lost their main number one stripper at this point. I, true, true, true. Yeah, the casino nights will never be the same. <laughs> CR Flint is still really confused, thinks his granddaughter's been killed. They're taking him out of the house, aren't they? And he's going, oh, my poor granddaughter. She died six episodes ago, mate. Catch up. Dudley begins to reprimand Alan and Katie somewhat because they were there to prevent this from happening. <laughs> Katie begins to blame herself. They cut to Katie talking to the camera and she's like, yeah, I feel bad. I blame myself for <laughs> that. Like, Katie, this is always going to happen. I was the babysitter last night. I was in the house. I had full responsibility. So I feel partially responsible for what happened. They go back into the HQ uh, and they're discussing the day's events and suggest that the killer could have been in the basement from the start and was just waiting for the prime opportunity. They cross Mary Elizabeth out. She's obviously no longer a suspect because she's been killed. The lines for all the suspects' faces are even thicker now. Katie said that the Reverend said to her, beware of the whore of Babylon, when referring to Mary Elizabeth. He told me to beware the whore of Babylon. Could he still be the killer? As in, he referred to her as the whore of Babylon. Could that mean he's still the killer? Yeah, he definitely could be. But do we think he is? I don't think he is. The review of OSL, they mentioned the audio tapes. And Gary says, he might not believe me because... I rebound it three times to listen. Gary says about the experts, they need a couple of days to get it hard-drived into our computer. I did not get that. <laughs> I've never heard hard-drived as an adjective before. We tried to get our experts to be able to get it hard-drived into our computer. That's such a, like, what like you say with the, um... This is the turn of the millennium bug and everything. <laughs> yeah, 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 the, the Matrix-style emailing. <laughs> On the review of the infrared film, they mentioned that the film is the same type of film that the killer uses. Therefore, the killer may have been driving the pickup. They mentioned that the envelope recovered from the back of the painting could have been there since 1971. N not in the back of the pickup, obviously, in, in the place where the burnt man killed himself. They mentioned that there are nine people in the photo, one of whom is circled, and we see that. And I, again, unless I've been reading this the wrong way entirely, the boy that never knew his family was a Duchamp's child. Originally, I thought that the burnt man said... I was picked up by a foreign talking family and I just put two and two together and thought, that. you know, Duchamp being a family that was lost at sea, the fact that the burnt man was picked up by a foreign family, Duchamp being a French name, perhaps that's where that all came from. But actually thinking about it now, the, the burnt man said that he never knew his family or, or, or if the Duchamp family went missing at sea in 1941 and that's when the burnt man got burnt in 1941 could this be him with his family in 1940 and this was he was one of the duchamp family so the yes, burnt man was I one of that, the duchamp family yeah i think we are thinking backwards on it maybe yeah and actually if we hadn't gone into too much detail and jeff does suggest that actually he says perhaps the burnt man placed the photo in the painting in 1971 before he committed suicide so had it been there since 1971 yeah katie then says it could have been placed there by the killer angel oh man angel's quote 
Angel states the obvious. It all connects somewhere. We just don't have the glue to put it all together right now. No shit, mate. <laughs> like, of course it's all connected. That's why you're here. I think maybe you're, you're assuming, or you, you're meant to think maybe that the killers stripped that room but not find that photo? Yes. The killer was driving the... Isn't it? The killer was driving the pickup, gone through everything, not found the, pi the, the picture behind the painting. Perhaps the burnt man hid that before he committed suicide in the 70s. I don't know. It, I'm looking forward to find out what it all means because it is a good it is a good thread. So two envelopes were left in Sam's diner. So the killer question is obviously one of one of them and it's about the bible verse that Rusty mentioned. Alan thumbs through and finds the passage in Proverbs. Obviously he gets the answer right and Mayor Bowden is cleared. And then Katie gives Alan a kiss on the cheek. I've just I've got that next. A little Katie bit of chemistry. So we move on to the killer's game. And before we play the killer's game, we see Jeff acknowledge that if Katie gets picked by the group, that he knows Angel is picking him. And I've put, at this point, I'm almost certain that Jeff will be picked by Katie and Alan. So if Jeff will be going, Angel has the hardest choice to make because Angel would be having to choose between mm, I thought this. Katie and Alan. I thought this, but have you done the, have you done the maths on this? Maybe I'm getting it wrong because I thought about this. And then at the time, I, at the time of the voting, I felt quite disappointed with Alan in his pick. So let's go through this. We already know Angel is going to pick Jeff. And I reckon because they talk a lot and we, we know, has he already said this in the episode? I can't remember if he said this. Is it, is it to the camera? Yes. About Chris. Yeah, at the very start, but Angel gonna, said. But I'm going to assume, and Alan knows, Angel's picking Jeff whatever. Yep. Yeah, right? I, I, I think that's that. the case. He knows that yep. before he's even going mm -hmm. in. So to save his own skin, to ensure he's in that final, he's got to pick Katie. Yeah, and I didn't think of this at all. I just thought that is really harsh, but actually... I thought it was harsh, but when you think about it like Angel that... Angel was probably always going to pick Alan. out of If given the choice out of Alan and Katie, Angel would have picked Alan to go and face yes, the killer's kill. Yes, yeah, exactly. But if Angel has only Katie, Katie and Jeff to pick, and and Jeff to pick, he's picking Jeff. So he or Alan can, and Jeff, you mean? Uh, Alan and Jeff. So by by Alan picking yes. by Alan picking Katie, it meant that Katie has got two votes from him and Jeff, meaning that Katie is unfortunately going because of the group vote. But Alan is saved because he's going up against Jeff, who cannot. Jeff is a hundred percent going. Alan can't be mm -hmm. picked because Angel has promised to send Jeff, and I completely missed that. And actually, I thought yeah. Alan was being a bit harsh. But no, he's not. Exactly. That's he's just guaranteed himself a place in the final. That's 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 what I thought. I thought after that, there's the, the only time in the season I thought, fucking hell, Alan. Yeah, like, same. You, you've, you've obviously gone with Katie and you've screwed her over at the last minute here because you could have easily picked Jeff. But then I thought, well, Alan and Angel are obviously mates. Alan knows the, the deal that Angel's got with Kristen to pick Jeff. So to ensure that he gets in that final, he has to pick Katie. And I think even he might say that, that it's a hard decision or whatever. But all he's doing is looking out for himself. It's still a game at the end of the day. Katie is heading to Sunrise High School. Jeff is heading to the Kingfisher Cannery. Katie is understandably gutted in her last will and testament. Wow. I never thought I was going to get chosen by the group tonight just because um, Alan told me that he was going to choose Jeff. And uh, wow, like you think you know people. X-Ray mentioned that it's all women who continually get voted. He's right, and maybe there is sexism, although we mentioned it at the very start about Jeff being sexist and all that, and we saw that's a bit harsh. Now, looking at it, we don't see what's behind the scenes, and also this was 20 years ago. Things could have been completely different, and the fact that now that there are three men in the final does suggest some of that. Once again, I hated Jeff here, and I don't necessarily mean hate. I don't hate Jeff. I just, I'm really sick of him, because he sounds like Ric Flair once again. 
and I was hoping so much that he was a goner. Didn't happen. Obviously, Jeff survived and Katie was eliminated. Angel calling Katie a little girl did seem a little demeaning. Until then, we saw a picture of her standing next to Alan earlier on. So I text you that photo. And she is really, really little. So where he's going, come on, little girl. This is another thing. You don't know what behind the scenes. And at this point, I'm thinking Alan's probably 29, 30. I think Angel's probably probably a little bit older, maybe 33 to 35. And I'm thinking probably Katie then. I reckon Katie's probably 24 to 27, maybe. You know what I mean? So maybe she, she could be 10 years younger than Angel yeah. at this point. Yeah, true. So Katie's eliminated. Jeff finds the killer clue and returns to the group. On his way back, oh, man, he's talking to Mo in the car and he's just being a massive, massive dickhead. Kristen, <laughs> short out five times in a row, man. Absolutely hate him at this point. And I've said I don't hate him. I think I might hate him because I forgot this happened. But in the back of the car, he's being a knob. Being worse than Kristen in Venice. Like, he, my hate for Jeff is probably more than my hatred for Kristen now. Angel back at HQ tells Gary his true feelings. So before Jeff arrives back, Angel's opening up to Gary yeah. and he's saying how much he doesn't really doesn't like Jeff. Jeff makes the worst argument in history, as far as I'm concerned. So Jeff returns and tries to shake hands. There's that there's that standoffish point where he's like, touch that, touch that, or feel this, feel this, and he's reaching his hand when out he comes back. when he comes back. How many times you been out, Angel? On what? On, On the, the killer, killer clue? None. Exactly. Right. His personality. Well, yeah, his personality. Yeah, his personality meaning is, that he's a decent sure no person. For him. Like, yeah. what the hell is that? That's backfired massively on you, Jeff. You look ridiculous at this point. Angel had quote of the quote of the day, maybe. Just as the camera sort of pans or the the, the, the filming cuts away, Jeff and Angel are going at it. Yeah, People like you and me don't get along. Only way you're gonna ever win anything in your life. You have no Yo, ambition. You're a model. I'm a fireman. All you do is pose for Yeah, I said that. I put that at the end. And then model versus fireman. And then you see them again at night. And it's, if you're threatening me, yeah, brother, obviously, bring it. It's obviously a few hours later, or like a bit yeah, of time Yeah, exactly, it's that evening, isn't it? And they're still, they're still at each other. If you're threatening me, if you're threatening me, bring it, brother, bring it. So we have got five remaining suspects. Right, let me, let me just say them quickly, just the suspects, so I can write them. Oh, uh, Frank, Prudence, Rusty. Lambert. Yeah, Lambert. And Jimmy. Yeah. So if I'm putting all, if I'm putting all my money into one part then because this is episode this is it now this is our last chance to pick a killer this is it yeah i've got i've got i've put an arrow next to mine now we have got way more evidence stacked up against prudence than anyone else right yeah i've that's what i've ticked. yeah connor is a hundred percent the one that we've seen the bang stick etc etc however if she did it she did it with mm-hmm. jimmy yes exactly because the fact that Gary said the killer or killers for the first time in this episode makes me think maybe she had some help. However, Jimmy's reaction in the church makes me think, nah, probably wasn't uh, Jimmy. So if it's not Jimmy, then I don't think it's Prudence because I don't think she did it alone. So I don't think it's... Frank, I, Frank, Rusty, Lambert. I don't think it's Frank and I don't think it's Rusty. Rusty didn't know enough. Well, I could have... Lambert's too obvious, so, surely. But this surely is... Too obvious. <laughs> Who are you going to go for? If someone gets murdered, who are you going to go for? Their business partner. So I want it to be Prudence, but I, th- I think I think I'd be happy with it being Prudence. That's it? that's the other thing is that it's very much dependent on what we are happy with at the end. Because if it tails off and it's rubbish, I it's just um just Jimmy just got bored one night. So no, you you go Prudence. I'm going to go Prudence. I'll go William Lambert. I'll go Obvious. Now who's going to win it then? I'm going to keep with my. 
I'm, I'm taking on board. I think Angel did a fantastic episode. Yeah, I say we should stick with what we went with last time. But 100% Alan. I want... Angel, Jeff for me. So I want Alan, but I think it will be Angel. And that's it then. There might be a lifeguard. There might still be someone reporting to Gary in this last episode. So who would Katie pick? Not that it means anything. It doesn't mean immunity anymore or anything like that, because presumably it's Alan. just... Should pick Alan. Well, you say that. She's not going to pick Jeff, and you don't know if there's a secret rule saying that you can't be lifeguard consecutively. Mm. So I put that. I put, I'm anticipating Katie chose Angel because of what Alan did during the vote, but if he can't get it two in a row, then yeah, she's not going to pick Jeff. If you've made it this far, thanks for listening. Come and tell us what you think. We're at Presents Jam on Twitter. Join us next time for the final episode as we play the killer's game one last time before learning their identity.